Hello. How are you doing? Hi. Hey everyone. Slava Ukraina. Hello, Slava. Um yeah, I um I'm I'm happy we're back um after several days. And uh I'm happy that uh, technically speaking we're all fine, I think. Um yeah, so uh Usually we do a quick intro in the beginning and then when we jump right through uh to introducing our feature Ukrainian. Yeah, but uh wanted uh, just uh, to first ask how everyone's been doing. How's everyone uh, and your loved ones especially? I can start. <laughs> I'm Please, fine, yeah. but as uh, any Ukrainian I guess who are living abroad and trying to manage studying working um important things here but if it could be it's fine thank you yeah it's been crazy crazy weekend as well especially in Europe I mean uh I, I we we're definitely going to talk today about it but uh I just I just had no idea that I mean all of this I mean all of the genocide someone will come up with uh, such brilliant ideas of as banning Ukrainian flags and public display of Ukrainian flags in any circumstances this is just entirely bizarre but also 100% proves the point why there is a genocide in Ukraine these days What about you Valeria I think a lot of us were like super anxious around 9th of May and everyone was like AK like yeah victory day or whatever we want to call it um but i think now that it's what what date is it i don't even know but anyway uh it just just i think it's not like nothing happened because things continue to happen every day but i feel like we were all expecting an escalation of some sort and as far as i'm aware it didn't happen to the degree that many of us thought it would so i'm kind of feeling a little bit more i wouldn't say relaxed because none of us are relaxed but kind of yeah hopeful potentially that this will end soon and not escalate continuously yeah but uh, on the other hand today is 7 uh, 77th day and when i saw this number today uh with each day it's just doesn't mean anything anymore it feels like a very long one day that's just one end so yeah okay um okay maybe uh well do you want to um kick in and especially uh to tell everyone else about the uh spaces for those who joined for the first time and yeah. then we can uh jump right in My doorbell just rang so I'm just running up to my laptop to see exactly the our description but I'm going to no. try and improvise today. So No, I I can do it for you. I mean, that's you why sure? there are two people. <laughs> <laughs> that's because you never know. Okay guys. Uh so uh, first of all, this is a, a a live event that is being recorded and then uh, uh the recording uh will turn to be a podcast. uh that we upload to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
Um, we uh, started this event uh, almost you know, two months ago together with Val because we uh, saw so many Ukrainians with perfect English sharing their stories across all social media platforms. Uh, yet the conversations about Ukraine were and are still dominated by Western, mostly white and mostly male folks, and not only continuously robs Ukrainian of their, uh, Ukrainians of their agency, but it also perpetuates a outdated, misleading and false narratives about Ukraine and Ukrainians. So we want to foster a relaxed, safe uh, and chill space for Ukrainian voices to express themselves without the need of fitting Western boxes. And the rest can use the space to educate themselves and maybe decolonize uh, some of your views of Ukrainians and Ukraine. So each time we spend most of the hour offering the space uh, to a featured Ukrainian. Um, and uh, also don't forget that you can listen the recording as a podcast later. We've also uh, launched our Patreon um, page where you can become a sponsor of Ukrainian spaces because this is 100% a volunteer effort so far and we really need your help and solidarity to keep going and uh, that's it uh, shall I uh, you know, yeah. did I forget anything? No, I think that's perfect I think uh, just to, to note to everyone who's listening, who's here right now and who'll listen when this is a podcast um, as you said, we we've we now have a lot of supporters on Patreon and uh, we hope to soon get some help. So thank you to everyone so much for supporting us. But if you haven't yet, um, just check out the links on Maxim and, and mine page to see how else you can, you can um, support the efforts that we're doing because it's a hundred percent volunteer um, effort by the two of us. Um, as Maxim says, every podcast, but I'll do it today since you've just uh, read also the description of what we're doing here we our main ground rule is that we let every single ukrainian introduce themselves the way that they want to uh the way that they see fit and the way that they want um our audiences to know them so please uh nata if you don't mind introducing yourself and and sort of the way we ask as well as sort of you know your life before the full-scale invasion and and has it changed now and what do you do and um just a little bit about yourself to everyone here. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Uh, before, uh, okay, now I'm uh, living in Berlin, so I'm Ukrainian in Berlin, but um, before uh, I was living in Kyiv for eight years. So I moved to Kyiv exactly in the moment of revolution of dignity and live there all these uh, dramatic um, events in Ukraine. And uh, since studying at the university, uh, in, in Institute of uh, International Relations, I studied international communication. So public diplomacy was my like, dream in my professional life for a long time. And when um, the Ukrainian Institute was established, it's a public institute, so, some boring um, elements of my life, but uh, it wouldn't be so boring, I guess, uh, later. So uh, institute, uh, in Ukrainian Institute was established in um, 2016, so not for long uh, ago. And it's the same institution uh, as uh, Goethe Institute in Germany as British Council. But sure, Ukraine has uh, quite different cultural, uh, historical con uh, context. So we need, uh, uh, we have another task to um, what, how to present Ukraine 
uh, abroad. Uh, so I worked um, in the Ukrainian Institute before and uh, was doing also the project uh, Ukraine UA. This project was also uh, is well also uh, affiliated with the Foreign Ministry of Affairs, and it was like um, the digital platform uh, for foreigners to know more about Ukraine through the lenses of uh, Ukrainians through the internal context, and. Uh, I need to say that it, it's somehow ironical because we created this um, platform to um, create positive associations with Ukraine, uh, to create um, positive narratives, to combat all these negative associations with uh, war, with crisis, with corruption that are dominant in the Western media for so long time. But um, when the war started, it uh, turned out that this platforms is really needed now because um, by this moment we uh, knew how we can communicate with uh, foreign audiences but at the same time uh, this uh, project uh, this platforms grew with the audience like dramatically from uh, for example in Instagram 100,000 uh, people to uh, it's almost 1 million now I just want to mm. say uh, how um, dramatically the demand for uh, the information about Ukraine abroad uh, grew for this moment. So my work is uh, for a long time uh, concerned with, uh, uh, with how Ukraine is percepted abroad. Mm. And as, as, as a Ukrainian, I mean, uh, I would love to talk about your work more and this is exactly what we'll be doing because I I also uh, such a fan of what you're doing personally on social media and calling uh, out people for outdated myths and perceptions of Ukraine. But as a Ukrainian, I mean, as someone who is part of civil society, and who has been working hard before the genocide to kind of uh, um, address all the myths and misconceptions about Ukraine, um, after 77 days of this genocide, is it, um, do you think it's still quite frustrating that we basically um, are forced to explain the same things over and over again that we've been explaining since, I don't know, the long, as long as I can remember myself? Um, from, from one side, uh, I'm really fed up with explaining, for example, why we need to write uh, Kiev, not Kiev. And it seems to be so. It seems to be so small detail, but we always need to explain why it's important. But from the other side, I didn't expect that it will change uh, fast. Uh, again, I worked with this topic for a long time, and that's what I also want to talk about this today. That that's not new. Uh, we already had the same stereotypes. The stereotypes are so deeply entrenched in the consciousness of people abroad. They uh, didn't have any alternative sources of news uh, other than um, Western media and uh, strong uh, Russian propaganda media as well. So uh, I see um, here my professional challenge rather. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's also personal. To, I mean, it's hard not to yeah. take it personally, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, I know that the the work on uh, uh, dismantling and decolonizing perceptions of Ukraine is, it will probably take years and years and years. 
but uh, um, a lot of folks are saying that we've also achieved tremendous progress in the last 77 days. If you think so as well, where would you point out to see any kind of progress, if any, if you see any? Uh, what is the progress that there is a great demand and uh, um, attention to Ukraine? Because uh, if before we needed a lot of efforts to get an article in New York Times, for example, in Washington Post, now it's uh, it's more easy. There are some obstacles yet, and uh, I fully understand this. But um, what I feel personally is that people are ready to uh, listen to you when you say that you are Ukrainian. So from some point of view, you feel um, abroad like a spotlight. And if you say that you're from Ukraine, people are ready to ask questions, to uh, go deeper, uh, to know more about Ukraine. They want somehow to use you to get more context. Um, speaking about uh, the topic of colonization, I can uh, tell my own uh, example. Um, Please do. Please. Yeah, it's our yeah, favorite topic, yeah. so go ahead. Yeah, that's horrible. Uh, for, um, because um, like uh, one month uh, before the invasion, I did a um, lecture and the seminar um, in the university. Uh, we had a seminar on uh, cultural appropriation. And uh, I propose that uh, I can uh, explain this topic through the Ukrainian uh, view because uh, all the text that we uh, read as a homework was about African appropriation. And uh, professor uh, who did um, the topic of appropriation and colonialism for a long time, uh, she was surprised and she couldn't, uh, couldn't get it how Ukraine and Russia can be considered in this topic. And uh, I did this lecture, uh, something was more clear for the moment, but just after this uh, historical lecture of Putin uh, in the eve of um, the invasion, uh, this professor wrote me an email and said that, oh my God, I just got what your point of view was. <laughs> what are you trying to say us about how Ukraine can be uh, considered in this Russian colonialism system? <laughs> So oh I guess amazing. We, we, yeah, I said, uh, yeah, uh, I think we did a great, um, great um, step with this, but um, but still there should be uh, a new programs established in the Western universities. Uh, more Ukrainians should go to the universities uh, abroad so they can uh, promote this point of view because we can talk about this uh, on Twitter and it has great influence, but at the same time, um, in academia, there are so many talks that people just cannot understand how to put Ukraine in this academical uh, context, in this topic that is studying for a long time, but yeah. Ukraine like a blind spot on this. Yeah, and uh, I I cannot uh, I I come back to this over and over again, but I cannot recommend more the lecture that Alessia Hromichuk did uh, from the Ukrainian Institute in London on 
exactly this blind spot in academia and how Ukrainian scholars and academics for decades were discouraged to uh, research their own country and were told that this is not a serious topic and how it basically led to this intellectual blind spot. And yeah, I, this is a fantastic story, Nada. Thank you so much. But my kind of takeaway from it all that uh, as I was listening, I wish that happened be before and it, we, I, I wish it wouldn't take a genocide for people to finally see what we were trying to say yeah. for decades. And maybe people could have, yeah, maybe we could have prevented some of some of the things that have happened as well if people woke up a little bit earlier to things we've been saying, what well, you have been saying, both Maxim, Nat, and, you know, a lot of Ukrainians. So it, it, just, it just seems like a missed opportunity for many of us and that I hope it will change. But um, I also really enjoy asking this question to our guests. I follow you on Twitter and I think some of the sort of educational stuff that you do has been super useful for me personally, I'm sure to other people as well. Um, so I wanted to ask you, Nata, if it's, if it's possible, what has been sort of, because I think it shows a lot about our audiences that we're talking to as well. What has been the most popular post that you've done um, on Twitter that got the most attention on that riled the most people up? Because I think that that can give us a good insight into into what people want to know more. Uh, I think the most popular post was about um, deportations. And uh, it just, uh, I started uh, posting, actively posting on Twitter with 400 followers and there are no popular posts. And with this post, it's like <laughs> uh, my audience uh, really grow. Um, it was a moment when uh, people in the West just started talking that the deportation uh, in Ukraine, deportation to Russia of Ukrainians uh, just uh, are happening now because before uh, the most of media coverage in the West was about uh, evacuation of Ukrainians to uh, Russia. So uh, it also shows the problem that uh, who are the first to speak about this war? If uh, it's uh, Russian narratives, if it's Russian speakers who uh, take the time to given interviews on the West, they will name it evacuation and media will follow this and will name it as it is um, in this narrative. But uh, yeah, I posted this and people were shocked that uh, such things can happen uh, in um, in Ukraine, in Europe now. And that uh, what I, uh, my key message uh, with this tweet was that, um, that I can't believe that uh, such uh, horrifying things that we all learned in the historical books they are happening now in our lifetime and uh, that that's why we cannot surrender to russia we cannot um give up and uh, just let it our country be occupied and our uh, people let go to russia and work in the labor camps and uh, i guess it was one of the most um, popular um posts on my Twitter, yes. And then uh, there were several uh, tweets and there were some shit posts uh, about um, how uh, Ukraine, uh, how the war is presented by the speakers from, um, from Russia or also mm. um, from Western audiences. And there was a tweet about um, event. Uh, it was organized by the uh, German media and there was about 24 speakers and nobody from Ukraine. There were some um, 
I guess, five or four people who had uh, origins from Russia. And uh, they named themselves like post-Sovietish immigrants, post-Soviet migrants, and mm. um, also uh, Ruslan Deutsche. Yeah. And uh, the organizers of uh, this post just uh, tweeted, uh, tagged these people and said that that's Ukrainian. And I asked them, how about Ukrainian in uh, in your panel? Because uh, in this people, uh, these people have no background in Ukraine, no professional. They don't speak Russian. Uh, this, sorry, they don't speak Ukrainian. They don't follow Ukrainian media. And I asked them later. Uh, these people, do you follow Ukrainian media? What do you read about Ukraine to speak about Ukraine on this international panels? And uh, no answer was uh, on this. Yeah, and it was one of my uh, yeah. most popular tweets. It kind of uh, leads me to my question that I really wanted to, to ask and point out that you work out Berlin and uh, you're um, in Germany and we can talk and talk about uh, myths and misconceptions that English speaking people have, um, you know, um, in the United States or elsewhere, but it does not even uh, come close to the shit that we have to deal when it comes to Germany. And I know that, and we, you know, talked with you also privately and shared our frustrations because we see it every day and the amount of uh, uh, ignorance, but also sheer denial of uh, the right to manifest your Ukrainian, um, Ukrainian identity in Germany is sometimes is really discouraging. And that's what I wanted to ask you, um, how, you know, you're so energetic all the time calling people out, but as a Ukrainian living uh, in Germany, surrounded by all this toxic uh, narratives that Ukrainians just do not deserve, you know, especially from mainstream intellectual uh, circles that Ukrainians are, uh, do not deserve solidarity or Ukrainians are too uncomfortable or too provocative. How do you deal with that? Just like as a as a Ukrainian, as a human being, uh, because for me, you know, sometimes it's so overwhelming. I don't even want to go to Berlin anymore. Yeah, I remember the chat uh, between us. Uh, yeah, sometimes I feel like between two fires between Germany and Russia, and uh, sometimes I just want to take ticket or I don't know several tickets to get home in Kiev and forget everything <laughs> here. But the problem is that uh, it's not like what happening in uh, Germany on the streets because on the streets people are walking in the park, they enjoying life, uh, they enjoying sun and so on. And that's also another topic that I probably wanted to talk about, about these clashes of two um, different realities. Uh, because you live in the war reality and uh, people just enjoy. And that's why I uh, was forced to give up one of uh, my courses this semester, because before the invasion, I. Um, uh, I chose a course about uh, how to create spaces uh, for hanging out. It was really interesting. The professor is uh, really nice, but <clears throat> sorry. Uh, but uh, during the first um, um, 
seminar uh, in this semester, I, I was just sitting, listening to people, how they hang out and how they you know, spend the break between uh, semesters. And I couldn't understand how I can listen to this because it was like quite different. Like people didn't see this war at all. <laughs> so um, now I try to uh, be in the surroundings where people can speak about war. Uh, especially in Germany, it's a special situation because um, for for a long time, for three weeks, I thought that my fellows in the university, they just, uh, they don't care. They uh, don't want to support, they don't see the point to support. But uh, after three weeks, uh, several people uh, started writing uh, messages for me with support. It was long messages and uh, I understood that they just couldn't find right words to approach you and now i see the same situation that people are ready to talk to you people are ready to support you when you start this conversation when you show that uh, you are open to talk about this uh, that's why uh, at the university i always open to start the communication any topic can be raised uh, in the context of war. So I try to be this disruptor in the German society, at least in my surroundings, who start talking about this and to show that what is happening now, please don't forget about this. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's so important as well. Just, just, and I think probably if any of your friends are here, any of my friends are here, I'm like Sims, to just say that like we want to talk about the war and about Ukraine, Pre pretty much most of the time, uh, if not, you know, at, at, on a on a completely you know daily daily basis. I think that's why we've created relationships with each other online as well, because so many of us who have never met before in real life, because because we are providing that sort of emotional support in the sense of talking about our home with each other so i think that's just so important to remind people that like many of us do want to talk about it and skirting around the issue is probably not the best idea moving forward with a lot of ukrainians um and the other thing is like obviously i think it's also just okay to accept that all of these reactions and feelings are okay right like that it's that it's totally okay to want to not do certain things and do other things and i think the one of the things that a lot of ukrainians have been struggling with and and i have personally been struggling with is a lot of people as you say like who you have you know who are in your immediate surroundings sometimes talk about like maybe it's time to go back to normal <laughs> which is extremely extremely uh probably unhelpful right now for many of us but i think as you said like initiating and being that disruptor is so important because it will allow you and, and us to create a new way of living, not going back to something we had before, but create like a new way of how we want to operate given the circumstances that we're in. So thank you so much yeah, for sharing that. Absolutely. And it's uh, it follows a long tradition of Ukrainians being badass and making people uncomfortable by just manifesting their lives, which is on one hand is sad, but on the other hand, uh, this is where a lot of Ukrainians I know shine these days by speaking up and by confronting people 
and by making sure that the people acknowledge uh, not only the tragedy catastrophe that our land is going through, but our existence as well. And Nada, I wanted to really ask you this question because I know, I, I definitely know you have a very cool and smart take on that, but living in Germany, uh, facing this uh, need to um, manifest your Ukrainian uh, Ukrainian identity, despite that it is considered uncomfortable. Um, why do you think we're even in a position where in some places like Germany or France or elsewhere, um, our existence is uh, so uncomfortable for uh, some of the people they would rather, you know, uh, try to censor us or try to ban our flags or other nonsense that is happening more and more often? I don't think that uh, they are uncomfortable to speak about this. Uh, I would rather say that people uh, live their own lives and um, they don't need to care about anything that could happen. Uh, speaking about Germany and um, its relationship with Russia, sometimes it's uh, um, it seems that uh, these countries, the people from these countries were living in the harmony for the long time and now the independent Ukraine appeared on <laughs> in the space and uh, it disrupted just a normal order of things. So, uh, and people need to change their routine, need to find new words to talk about this. So probably it's not about uncomfortable. But I, I'm not sure. I'm still uh, searching for the answer of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I wanted also to add to, to Valeria that uh, in this time, I feel that um, I feel I'm more brave to, uh, to talk about myself, to talk about Ukraine, because before the invasion, uh, it always felt that um, probably without your comments, people uh, can live on and uh, uh, they, they shouldn't be interested in what you say. But uh, now you say, uh, now I feel that we live through the really unique experience that we can um, share with other people. And it should be interesting to uh, study all this topic in the university, to talk about this with uh, ordinary people, just to broaden our horizons and to learn new things in what is happening in this world. Yeah. 100%. And the other thing I was thinking about yesterday with a friend of mine is I think, you know, it's already happening, but it's also gonna happen even more so when this is over is that we will go through a moral reckoning sort of thing where, you know, everything will be pretty black and white. Some people are like, you have to be on the right side of morality and whatever is happening, which is why it's so important for, for us Ukrainians to speak out and explain our stories and perspective our stories and perspectives, because we need to essentially i know that it's not our responsibility but we need to share as much as we can so that people can make that choice about which side of our morality and history to be on but um sort of in relation to this i guess uh there was a whole uprising of a lot of us ukrainian um creators voices whatever you want to call us uh volunteer uh and and sort of yeah ad hoc creators on on social media uh when you had a bit of an interaction with with a, um i don't even know if it's worth mentioning people's names but anyway a bit of an interaction about the way that uh some russian sort of anti-war i guess people have been dealing with um with the topic of ukraine and i think it's just 
perhaps important to note that this is exactly why we're here with everyone and trying to uplift Ukrainian voices like yours. But um, I was just wondering if, if there was anything on that topic that you wanted to uh, make our audiences know or understand or or sort of anything that's been particularly um, annoying you in, in the way that we've been supported uh, in, in brackets, <laughs> in quote marks. Yeah, I guess you're talking about uh, the tweet about Schulman's interview, yeah? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> uh, just uh, for a quick context, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Nada published a tweet where she criticized the interview of one of a, a prominent Russian um, intellectual leaders, probably I could say that, of uh, Russian opposition. And, you know, I totally agree the interview was insensitive and where the person would talk about war in Ukraine without even questioning the illegal status of it in in a very insensitive uh insensitive way right and when nada pointed out she got uh unleashed the whole kind of a insult a wave of insults and abuse from a lot of russians including some prominent russians you know basically telling her to shut up and censor herself just because she dared to criticize one of the prominent opposition figures in Russia for insensitive Ukraine remarks. Did I get it right? Yeah, sure. Uh, I can explain more. Uh, I need to divide this uh, tweet and this topic into two directions. The first one is about uh, the tweet uh, about this interview. Uh, what um, what I was angry about that uh, Schulman is a professor. Uh, she was telling about, like she said, um, logic of Kremlin and logic of Russian society. Uh, but the problem is that she didn't give uh, any broader context to this topic. And just uh, one example, when she was uh, talking about Crimea, about occupied territories, she said like, um, oh, why, why we need to care about it? Um, this uh, uh, territories are already ours. Uh, and uh, any uh, person who will come after Putin, even it would be uh, anti-Putin. Uh, These people uh, will not be willing to uh, return these territories to Ukraine. And uh, her argument, uh, argument also was that um, there are a lot of people in Crimea now, in uh, occupied territories, uh, who, uh, who enjoy living under Russia under Russian regime and they don't want to go to another territories and uh, my argument against was that uh, Schulman didn't provide any other context about people who uh, don't want to live in this terror who are tortured who are killed who are persecuted and uh, by such uh, presentation of the topic to the media, to the Deutsche Welle, but it was for Russian audience. Uh, I guess uh, there was no uh, translation. Uh, there is no other alternatives how people can uh, think about this war. So uh, how can we expect from Russian uh, society to be uh, more revolutionary, to, um, to do something uh, with uh, the shitty country, sorry, uh, if they just can't imagine that there could be other people who don't want to live like they live. And that was my um, the main uh, problem. And also, um, 
I, I can hear it uh, from other anti-Russian liberals um, in, in interviews that uh, they use this language of uh, Russian regime, like uh, official uh, Russian propaganda, and they uh, are even not conscious uh, about this. They use this word because they don't know any other context and any other language that can be used to describe this. For example, um, this uh, Schulman always use Prisadienia uh, uh, when we are talking about uh, Premier, and it's uh, in Ukraine we call it annexation and the perception of these two words are quite different and uh, i can share another story great story uh, from about uh, one uh, exhibition uh, that should be uh, organized in new york in prague in belisi and i guess in some other um, uh, in some other cities in the world uh, there um, this exhibition was called Pervorot. so uh, in Russian, it's uh, like could be a synonym of revolution, but uh, in Ukrainian context, it's used uh, to describe the events in Maidan, revolution of dignity. Uh, and uh, when I saw the announcement of this um, exhibition, uh, I thought uh, I read in social media that uh, New York Gallery uh, can't uh, organize the uh, exhibition uh, that is uh, curated by the uh, curator from Moscow. And uh, there are no mention about war, but uh, in this uh, announcement was said that uh, this, uh, this exhibition is organized in solidarity with, uh, with Ukrainians. But when I started to talk with this curator, she said that uh, they can't use uh, words like war because they would be sentenced for uh, 15, um, uh, 15 years. And it turned out that uh, the exhibition that is organized uh, to be presented in Russia uh, under the Russian law uh, should be the same as uh, in New York, in Belize and other countries. And this how this um, liberal propaganda, anti-Putin propaganda can also be presented in other uh, countries. So uh, the same propaganda yeah. as in, uh, as in uh, Russia uh, is conveyed uh, as a messages to the democratic countries. And I, I, I think it's, a, it's a, a great couple of examples because there's something that we discuss with uh, other Ukrainians very often privately and also publicly. And part of our frustration with this good Russians narrative that, you know, always it always breaks down and comes to the, this famous phrase by one of the founders of uh, First Ukrainian Republic, Vinichenko, um, and basically said that, you know, um, liberal or democratic Russians always uh, um, stop at Ukrainian, uh, Ukraine and Ukrainian independence. And I think in, in that context, the frustration that we all share all the time, that in conversations with liberal Russians, we never hear any acknowledgement or even attempt to acknowledge the long history of Russian colonialism that dates back centuries and any acknowledgement that Russia as a state and as a culture uh, bears collective responsibility for all those atrocities and genocides and invasions that were happening uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. And maybe starting from acknowledgement is yeah. something that will allow Russia to 
leave it behind. But even if the most so-called liberal pro-democratic Russians just lose their shit at this mention all the time, you know, yeah. it's just you suddenly get you know a face barrage of insults, and they call you names or even like mentioning. It, I think that Russia has such a bigger problem than Putin, and definitely what is happening in Ukraine won't end with Putin if Russians do not start talking about it. Yeah. And just to add quickly, because I want to ask Nata as well this. Um, I actually was w with a friend from Germany yesterday and she said something super interesting that, you know, we all learned at some point in, in our schools and so on and so forth. But it, it's interesting to think about it in this context is that a lot of Germans, you know, since childhood, since, you know, for a very long time have been taught to accept the collective sort of responsibility for a lot of the things that happened during World War II. Um, that's like, she was saying, that's like sort of almost in their, you know, DNA. That's what history books are all geared towards, that acceptance, that understanding, and that sort of acknowledgement. And, and she said that, like, she feel like she feels, and I feel similarly, that I think a lot of Russians who try to right now separate themselves, I'm not saying that everyone should, you know, I just think the, the super active, like, I'm moving away from Russia and everything that's Russian, but I'm not going to mention imperialism or colonialism and I'm going to super distance myself from everything is just something that I think potentially they need to look at again and just consider how, you know, Russian imperial history and, and so on and so forth has had an impact uh, on what where we are today and and just think about that collective responsibility that a lot of people have. Um, but Nata, I don't know if, if, because obviously you're, you are in Germany and obviously we are discussing, you know, we, we did say in the beginning, very beginning, first few episodes of um, this podcast that we don't always compare situations and things and history and different places. But I, I, I was just wondering, have you had similar conversations with Germans? You're obviously in Berlin. Um, has there been, has anyone shared any similar sort of advice slash experience of obviously a a country and people that have gone through a big um, reckoning and, and a big acknowledgement of, of history. And yeah, I also talked with my uh, friend who is actually Ukrainian, but she uh, lived in uh, Germany since five year old. So uh, school, um, she was attending school here in Germany. And she also say that I can't understand how it uh, understand how it works because uh, I'm Ukrainian, but I feel guilty for Ukrainians for the World War Two. So the uh, school programs was so intense that people really uh, feel this guilt. But um, for me, I I noticed it from the very beginning uh, of the invasion that uh, because of this feeling of guilty. Uh, people can't do anything because they are so ashamed that they are just um, 
afraid to start talking about this. And I guess that's a problem why people uh, couldn't find work to approach uh, Ukrainians to start talking because uh, it always was easily to, uh, easy to uh, distance from the problem and not start talking about this. So I guess that somehow a problem how um, with the consequences of this um, Rinerun Kultur, uh, culture of uh, remembrance in uh, Germany. Because we expected that people who lived through such, histor such a history, they would be more active in protecting us, in supporting us, but uh, it turned out that they just don't want to, uh, to do anything about war and to have anything about war. And probably you followed, also tweeted this, uh, one of the signatories of uh, this anti-delivery weapon in uh, Germany, uh, Letter to Scholz, uh, she... Um, he discussed on the television and he uh, taught our ambassador Melnik about that we Germans, we know what is war uh, exactly about and we don't want to repeat it. So they uh, consider it from the perspective, not the victim, but the uh, country who invaded in uh, uh, World War II. So that's quite different perspective of us as the victims of war and they, uh, the country who invaded. Yeah, it was, oh God, it was one of the probably most disgusting things I've ever seen on German television. Imagine this, you know, privileged white German person uh, lecturing an ambassador of a country that is going through genocide and also a country that lost 8 million people during the World War II. What is appropriate and what is not appropriate in terms of reaction? to uh, such cat uh, cat you know, catastrophic events. Uh, God, I was, uh, I'm, I'm still thinking about it and remembering, and I feel utterly disgusted by it. But uh, I wanted to ask you kind of a, a quick question. This is uh, something that is helpful all the time, but to a lot of Ukrainians that are listening uh, to us because they're trying to also figure out the best way to communicate and get uh, to uh, other people uh, and recruit solidarity, but also for a lot of journalists that listen to us all the time and Western journalists are trying to do a better job at covering Ukraine. So in your personal experience of conveying messages and breaking myths about Ukraine, what are maybe one or two the most effective ways of doing that you figure out for yourself in in the last 77 days if any it's a complex uh, question <laughs> to be honest um, i think the biggest problem in uh, communicating in uh, germany is language because uh, it's not so hard to find ukrainians who can speak uh, english and who can make an interview with German journalism, journalists, or sorry, uh, any other journalist. Uh, but in Germany, it's really important to speak in their language because it can just save efforts and uh, time. And to be honest, not all German and even German, German, German uh, journalists uh, can speak easily in English. So uh, I think the biggest problem is uh, covering uh, truths about Ukraine to other countries uh, they, they are not uh, English speaking primarily it's like language is the basic problem that's why it's so important so uh, 
as much as uh, possible Ukrainians go to uh, the universities abroad to learn languages to uh, know better this um, um, this internal uh, context, this local problems, and uh, how they can embed our narrative in the local uh, questions. Because I remember when uh, the invasion uh, started, before the invasion started, uh, the the most dominant narrative about this was that uh, the prices for gas and uh, for uh, any other products will be rising. And it was so disgusting to uh, hear all this news. But uh, I, I think we need to follow uh, the local agenda to know how we can um, put our messages uh, within uh, the local uh, context. Absolutely. And part of the reasons, I mean, we would love to do and maybe where we'll be lucky in ukrainian spaces we'll get enough resources to do various um uh, language versions but like part of my personal journey was just to learn the right vocabulary first so i can convey my thoughts properly in foreign language because so many people especially english language uh, english speaking people german speaking they don't understand how hard it is even if you sound uh okay in foreign language how still it's hard and a labor for you to convey your feelings and your emotions and especially on such complicated topics like war and genocide and uh you know your identity so hopefully uh this space is not only helpful for foreigners to learn something new but also for ukrainians to pick up something new when it comes to just words to use and concepts to explain. Western journalists, and not only journalists, uh, like Westerners, want to be uh, equally distant from the two sides of the conflict, like uh, to be objective. And uh, um, because um, I feel that uh, when we are speaking about Russian propaganda, and please don't listen to Russian propaganda, they uh, listen at the same time you are trying to put your own Ukrainian propaganda and uh, persuade me why you are right. That's why uh, this narrative is always... Um, and in this situation of uh, trying to present equally Ukrainian and Russians, uh, Ukrainian uh, voices are also faded. probably, I, I hope you will back me up here, that when we uh, you know, have these conversations about wrong perceptions or wrong or the attitudes that we find wrong or problematic when it comes to foreigners, whether Germans or other foreigners uh, in regards of Ukraine, this is not to say that there, we do not acknowledge or appreciate the unprecedented wave of solidarity and support that Ukraine also got from regular people all across the world. But I feel like we spend extra time explaining and extra time talking about it just because we know that you can be better allies and uh, uh, this is something that we really want to um, have as maybe even an act of appreciation for all the help that we're already getting. Am I, am I wrong here?
I totally agree with you. And uh, I should say that in this context of uh, uh, that probably we seem to be not so thankful to foreigners, who uh, ordinary foreigners uh, who try to help us. Uh, I always say thank you personally to these people who helped me, who help uh, any other people, uh, to volunteers on the Hauptbahnhof, um, on the train station. Uh, but uh, I just want to say that we, um, we need we put so many efforts and time to combat all these um, narratives that uh, just that harm Ukrainian narratives. Sorry for this. And um, uh, we are uh, in at this moment. We are primarily thinking about how we can win this war as soon as possible, and that's why we uh, we can uh, criticize too much people and uh, not pay so much attention to thank to them. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And before we uh, finish, because we only have a couple of minutes left, uh, we ask this question to everyone and we're really interested in your opinion on this as well. But um, we ask everyone what it means to be Ukrainian for them, all our guests that come and whether that has changed um, from before the war and, and now the way that you feel about being Ukrainian and what that means for you. So we'd like to ask you the same question. It's really hard to compare it to the life before because uh, I think nothing changed uh, from that time. But um, what changed that we now need to have another job to help to volunteer to study uh, to uh, spend a lot of time tweeting uh, sharing information about Ukraine and I guess that the, that every Ukrainian uh, probably every Ukrainian I can speak for myself uh, feel that uh, he or she should be a source of information about Ukraine and it uh, takes a lot of uh, personal time also. Hundred percent. Thank you so much um, for joining us. Um, Maxim, I don't know if there's anything, any last questions or comments you'd like to add? No, I'm, uh, I wanted to, well, first of all, I wanted to thank you, Nata, for, you know, coming and sharing all of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have so much more to share with us and hopefully you will come back and we will we'll be definitely uh, love to have you on again. Um, but uh, also wanted to thank everyone who joined live broadcast and also will be listening to this in recording for our podcast. You can find them on Spotify and Apple. For folks uh, who want to uh, ask questions or want to, um, you know, ask questions, uh, our featured Ukrainians, you can always do it by using hashtag Ukrainian spaces during the broadcast or in between them. You can log your questions or maybe suggestions, what you want us to cover and who you want us to feature as featured Ukrainians. And we will try to accommodate as many as possible. Or there is another uh, option. You can become our Patreon sponsor. And all our Patreon sponsors have front row when it comes to Q&A. And you can not only uh, ask them uh, by uh, typing those questions on our Patreon page, but also by 
voice in them in person and join the broadcast as well as our sponsors. So this is it. Again, Nata, thank you so much. Dziakuju to be super, super duże. <laughs> thank you for having me. Dziakuju. Slava, thank you. Have a Slava. Slava.